Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. a copy of God's Word, won't you find the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at tonight. We are kicking off a brand new series where we are walking line by line through this little letter called Galatians. And if you're new to the Bible, Galatians is going to be in the second half of your Bible or the New Testament. And uh, you're going to find a few people's names right at the beginning of the second half of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you're going to stumble upon like Romans that has nothing to do with the people of Rome, but it it's a long story. And then first and second Corinthians, and then you'll find Galatians. It's a small little book. I like little books. You can read it in just a short setting, but we're going to break it down word for word. And one of our commitments every year is that we're going to study various books of the Bible. And we hope that if you track with us, you'll get some biblical truth on very important things in your life, like sex, singleness, dating, job, work, voices, all that stuff. And that's kind of what we've done this year. And then that you will also be able to get some commentary on a few books of the Bible. So at the end of the year, if you've tracked with us, you can walk and see how, how God has taught you some things so that you can also learn how to study your Bible. God wrote a book and he wants you to read it and you can read it. And we hope that you would find God's word to be very, very applicable and readily available in your life. And so that's what we're gonna do. So we're kicking off this new series, Galatians, and we're gonna see that there is freedom that is found in Christ. Before we get there, I just got back from a vacation and my family and I, we went out to Estes Park, Colorado. I don't know if you've ever been out there, but it's right by the Rocky Rocky Mountain National Park and it's amazing. And so we went out there and just had a great time and and we traveled like with our crew. And so my wife, she's got a couple of brothers. We went out there and so it was was nine grandkids, 10 and under and aunts, uncles, all the fam. I mean, it was crazy, but we had such a good time. And uh, you would think that like I would be so rested after a trip like that, but don't be fooled. One of my kids got some allergies and I don't know if you have allergies or not but my daughter my youngest she's five and and she hasn't had this experience yet but it was one of those times for her when like snot's just coming out of everywhere you know like snot in her ears snot in her nose snot in her eyes you know and uh, we're there like night two and we haven't really slept real well and when your five-year-old doesn't sleep well you don't sleep well either, okay? You'll learn this when you have kids and so she wakes up like crying in the middle of the night 2 a.m. And her eyes are crusted shut because she has so much snot in her eyes. Y'all have had that happen before, right? You know, and you're like, I'm blind, you know? Well, she's never had this happen before. So she's like, dad, daddy, 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 you know? And I, I can't see, I can't see. And immediately I know what's going on. I've, I've had my eyes snot crusted shut before. And so I'm like, oh, this is the worst. And so I go and get like a warm towel, you know, like, oh, it's 2 a.m. Whose kids are these, you know? And I get the warm towel and I start like rubbing all of the break up the snot and the crust off of her eyes so that she can begin to see. And then she wakes up the next day and she's got these beautiful blue eyes, but they're just so gross looking, you know, just snotty. And, and over the next couple of days, we put the eye drops in her eyes so that she could begin to, you know, see things clearly. But the problem was is that she had snot in her eyes and it was blocking her ability to be able to see properly. And the reason why I start there tonight is because that's a great picture of a lot of our lives spiritually. That a lot of us, we've come in here to this space tonight, and, and when it comes to your eyes spiritually, they're a little bit snotty. And there's different things that have kind of gunked up our vision, so to speak, and we can't see what God really wants us to see properly. 
And there's many reasons why you may have snot in your eyes spiritually, and we won't go through all of those, but here's the reality that many of you have come in here tonight, and you are unable to see clearly what God wants you to see in his scripture. Now, when we talk about the Bible, there's so many things that we could talk about. But there's this message that kind of runs throughout the entire Bible that's like the main message of the Bible. And God, he wants you to be able to have crystal clarity so that you can focus on this main message of the Bible. And the Bible just calls it the gospel. I love asking people this question. You know, I'll say it something like this. Hey, when I say the word gospel, what does that mean to you? And it, it solicits all sorts of responses. Some people say, well, I think of music, you know, like gospel music. I'm like, oh, yeah, I love gospel music. Uh, they'll say, well, I think of like uh, books of the Bible, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are called the gospels. And I think, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's definitely fits in that. But really when the Bible and the biblical authors speak about the gospel, in their vernacular, in their culture, that word just literally means good news. And, and they're talking about the greatest news ever. In fact, the people that talk about the gospel in the Bible, they gave their life for this good news. And so when they're talking about the good news, here's specifically what they're talking about. And this is the main message of the Bible, that the gospel or the good news, it is in reference to Jesus Christ. He's the MVP of Christianity, hands down. And the gospel, the good news, is in reference to Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his return. And the Bible really sifts out the implications of this profound truth that has taken place in history and how it plays out in our life and practically. But the gospel, maybe you've heard this word before, maybe you grew up in church, I'm not real sure, but oftentimes people will be like, oh yeah, 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 I got the gospel, but now I need to get on to something else. And they'll kind of see the gospel as kind of like the entry into Christianity. Now the gospel, no doubt, or the good news about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return, that is the entry into Christianity. But a lot of people, they say, well, that's the entry level, but we got to move on to other things. But here's what you need to know about the gospel. It's not just the entry level. It's the main level. That the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. And we need eyes to be able to see the gospel clearly. But so often, we got snot in our eyes spiritually. So often, there are things that kind of gunk up the gospel in our life, and so we lose focus on what God says matters most. That Galatians was written to help us be able to see the gospel or the good news clearly. That Galatians was written to remove the gunk from our eyes spiritually. And so throughout this series, it's gonna feel like we're saying the same thing over and over. But we're just following the Bible's lead as we study this book. And you're gonna see this pervasive theme throughout the book of Galatians that the author, his name's Paul, just keeps coming back to in the gospel, and the gospel. You made it out to be this, but the gospel says this. The good news is this, and we've gotta have crystal clarity and focus on what the gospel is. Now, some of y'all are like, yeah, 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 what's the big deal? You know, good news, yeah, I get a gospel, okay, yeah, but what, what's the big deal? And, and some of you, maybe you're asking that question and you're like, well, you know, I, yeah, I've heard that before, but so what? And I would just say to you that if the version of Christianity that you're familiar with doesn't strike you as good news, then you may have the wrong version of Christianity, and that the gospel, the main message of the Bible, it will change your life. That the gospel, the main message of the Bible, it has changed countless of millions of men and women's lives throughout history. 
that this is the greatest news that anyone could ever wrestle with and entertain and adapt and, 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 and excuse me, inject and experience. It's the gospel. And maybe one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself over the next several weeks is for you to track with us in this book of Galatians and begin to wrestle with what the gospel means in your life. See, when you understand the good news of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his soon return, it begins to inform all, all parts of your life. The reason why this is so important is because the gospel is the eyeball by which we see everything. That the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it will inform your sex life. It will inform your singleness. It will inform your work life. It will inform your relationships, both romantically and socially. It will inform the way you spend your money. That the gospel will inform the way you see yourself. The gospel will inform the way you see others. The gospel will inform the way you see the world. The gospel will inform the way that you see your purpose in life, your meaning in life, and in the life to come. The gospel. If you're taking notes, I've titled this message tonight, Getting the Gunk Out of the Gospel. Getting the Gunk Out of the Gospel. I want you to see from God's Word three things specifically. I want you to see the gospel clearly. I want you to see how the gospel has been challenged. And before we leave tonight, I want you to see that the gospel, it changes people's lives. Paul, the guy that wrote the book of Galatians, he's kind of like an entrepreneur for Jesus. And so if you're new to the Bible, Paul, he's one of the greatest theologians of all time, and he planted many, many churches, or he started churches from scratch. And so God, Paul, he would just come into a space, and he would start sharing the gospel. People would start putting their faith and hope in Jesus Christ, and he'd be like, hey, we should get together, and he would start forming these little churches. And then what he would do is that after he started a church, he's like, hey, Y'all got it. There's some good leadership in place. I'm going to go on to the next place because I got to tell everybody about the gospel. He would be singing the song, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, just put me where you want me. And so he's going from place to place to place, this entrepreneur spirit, pioneering spirit, starting these movements of God. And then he would write letters back to those churches. And he would write letters to encourage them. He's like, man, I heard things are going awesome. Keep going, you know. He'd also write letters to challenge them. Hey, I heard about some issues with these two people. Y'all need to work that out. And he'd also write letters to rebuke them. And he'll say, hey, that's not what we talked about when we were together. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not the way that, that the followers of Christ should live. And he would write to encourage, to challenge, to correct people. And some of the letters that we have in our Bible are Paul writing to these churches. There were people just like you and me. And so he had started this series of churches in this region called Galatia. And he's writing this letter to these churches. And he's saying, hey, y'all read this from church to church to church. And the letter that we're jumping into tonight is the oldest letter in the entire New Testament. Y'all, it's a spicy one. Like Paul, like he, he low-key is going to rebuke everybody. And like he's just, he is fired up about something. And we're going to figure it out. Now, side note. It's okay to be protective about what's precious. And if you are a man of God or a leader for God, a woman of God, it's okay for you to be protective about what is most precious to God. And one of the things that's most precious to God is the purity of his word. And so Paul, he says this, starting in verse 1, Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, says, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead 
Now, we'll talk more about why Paul's going here later, but basically, this is Paul flexing on the haters in Galatia that were basically telling Paul, Paul, you're not legit. You have no authority here. They were saying, you're you're not a real apostle. Now, we don't use that language a lot in our culture, but apostle, think like founding father. Think like, like I'm a part of the board, that the apostles in the early church, they're called the foundation of the church, and there's certain criteria that that, was, that, that existed for you to be a capital A apostle. And some of that criteria you find in Acts chapter one, and it's like you had to see the baptism of Jesus Christ. You had to see his ministry for three years. You had to see Jesus die on the cross, raised from the grave. And so people were like, well, yeah, the, the 12 disciples, Jesus, is, his guys, they were apostles, but Paul, surely you weren't there. But Paul very, very well could have been there, and I think he was there. But he was an antagonizer the whole time. And so that's why they're kind of hating on Paul. We'll talk about that more later in the letter. But they're just basically saying, you have no authority here. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Yes, I do. And he goes on. He says this in verse 2. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Again, I told you it's just several churches that he's writing to. And here's what he says in verse 3. He says, grace to you and peace from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sin. This is key if you're underlining in your Bible or annotating in your Bible. Verse four is a key verse. He says this, who gave himself, Jesus gave himself for our sin that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, excuse me, according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you write this down. The gospel is clear. The gospel is clear. Again, the gospel, it means good news. And it's the main message of the Bible. A lot of times I'll talk with people about the Bible. They're like, what, the Bible's so confusing, you know? It's just like, it's a big book, and I'm not a great reader, and it's like all these authors, and all that so many years ago, and, and there's like, you can't eat stuff, and like, cut people's hands off. I mean, just like weird, confusing stuff in the Bible, you know? And I would say, yeah, there are parts of the Bible that are confusing. I'm not going to stand up here and be like, no, it's easy to understand, you know? But the main message of the Bible is not confusing. The main message of the Bible or the gospel, it is crystal clear in the Bible. And, and we see it here in verse, verses 4 and 5, 3, 4 and 5. It, and here, here it is kind of in a sentence that, that, that the gospel is God's will was to give us grace and peace by dying for our sin because we needed to be rescued for God's glory. That God answers a few things through the penmanship of Paul He answers what Jesus did, why we needed Jesus to do it, why Jesus did it, and and ultimately what God received from it. So let me just show you this real quick in verse 4, what Jesus did. What tells us there in verse 4 that that he gave himself for our sin. Think about this real quick. God. Think about God. It tells us in the Bible that God understood the universe into existence. You know, God was together. He's like, you know, I was thinking the other day, universe, you know? And then he begins to speak all of the things that we know that we've discovered in the universe. My kids are like into this show called Wildcrats. And Wildcrats is basically like an entertaining biology show. And so like they're doing all these adventures in cartoon land about all these different animals. They're learning all kinds of stuff and we're tricking them because they're having a good time doing it. But for me, I'm sitting there going, wow, that's amazing, you know, learning about all these different animals, the musk ox and the spitting fish called the archer fish, all this stuff. I'm like, God's amazing, you know. God, the one that can span the universe, he can measure the universe with the span of his hand. God, he can hold all of the world, water, in the hollow of his hand. God, 
and he died for you. I don't know if you think about this much, but let me just kind of slow us down. I want want you to think about this. God gave his only son for you. I got these three little girls. One's crusty-eyed. I mean, I got, I love these girls, all right? And like, like, and I like y'all. Like, y'all look good. Most of you smell good, praise God, you know, and, and you've come in here and you showed up, you're sitting up, you're taking notes, everything. Like, there's y'all are some good people, but I ain't giving any of my children for you. Like, I like you, but I don't love you like that. And the scripture tells us over and over and over that the way that God demonstrated his love for you was that he gave, God of the galaxies gave his son for you and for me. That the good news of the Bible involves Jesus' sacrifice for you and I. Listen, Jesus died for you. He died for you. Because he loves you. Has that gripped your heart? What Jesus did is he, he gave himself for our sins. Why he did it, or excuse me, why we need it, say in verse 4, it says that, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Uh, this word deliver, it can be translated as rescued. That Jesus came clearly on a rescue mission. Jesus taught a lot of things, but his ultimate goal was to come and lay down his life for the sins of the world. When you look at all the major world religions, what you'll find is at the, at the start of the major world religion, there's some sort of guru, some sort of teacher, some sort of God of sorts, and, and typically they're just teaching people about how to live their life in a way that would appease God or the gods. But only in Christianity do you have God sending his son Jesus on a rescue mission to die for people. Like, like the scripture says that spiritually we're all drowning. And imagine if you were drowning in a, in a, in a pool and, and the lifeguard sitting there has a manual on how to swim and he's like reading to you, you do this, you know, you do, and you kick. And then eventually he just throws the manual at you and says, good luck. That's not what we need, right? We need to be delivered. We need to be rescued. We need the lifeguard to jump into the water and save us. And this is what the gospel, the good news tells us that God did for you and I. And he did this for us even when we weren't ready or even when we weren't, weren't willing. That he did this for us even while we were yet sinners. He set the rescue plan in motion. Well, whose ideal was this? Well, it tells us here in verse 4, it says that all of this happened according to the will of our God and Father. That the gospel is God's will. I think sometimes we'll, we'll read the Bible like, well, I guess like God was like, well, you know, we, we thought it was going to work out this way. Holy Spirit, Jesus, what are we going to do? I'm like, well, we've got to fix this now, so let's draw straws. And Jesus draws the short straw, and they're like, okay, well, sorry, buddy. You know, Holy Spirit and God the Father are like, whew, I'm glad I don't have to do that. And then Jesus goes, and he has to die for us. I think sometimes we think that. But the gospel, note this, the gospel was the plan all along. This Bible isn't some, oh, that plan didn't work out. We better fix it. The gospel, the good news that Jesus would die for our sin was the plan all along. God pre-ordered salvation before sin was ever delivered. It's the gospel. So why did he do it? Why ultimately did God do this? And what tells us here in verse five that he did all of this and Paul just says it's, it's to God who deserves the glory forever and ever, Amen. I don't want to burst your bubble, but I'm going to keep it real with you. 
there's a tendency for all of us to come into this space and kind of make this about us being a better version of us. And we'll kind of make Jesus and spirituality and faith about us just reaching our self-actualization. And we'll think, okay, well, Jesus, like, like we need Jesus just to help us be a better us. And so we'll make salvation and faith about us. But let me just be real clear with you. Salvation is not about you. God ultimately exists for his own fame, his own renown, and his own glory. And if God settled for the glory of anything else, he would be the chief idolater, ceasing to be good and God. That salvation is for you, but it's not about you. That this whole thing that we've come in here to do and all of the songs that we want to sing is all exists for the glory and the honor and the renown of a great and awesome God. That salvation, God's love, it is for you, but ultimately it is not about you. That God, he did not save you because you were savable. God wasn't like, we're going to send Jesus because, oh, shucks, Chad's down there and he's just so honorable and we're going to help him out. Now, I was running in my rebellion away from the righteousness of God and God sent his son to die for me, to redeem me and to snatch me out of the jaws of hell. And the only thing I contributed to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. And so I don't deserve any glory or any honor, nor do you. That God, he loves us. We sang that song, you love us, you love us. I feel awkward singing that song because I'm like, I don't deserve this love. I don't know if you've ever considered like the death, the brutal murder of Jesus on a cross and then you standing right there like the Roman centurions and spitting and hurling insults upon him. I don't know if you ever put yourself and imagine yourself in that scene and when I do that, I'm like, I just wanna say, stop it all, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve you dying for me. And the gospel is God looking at me and saying, I'm not dying because you deserve it. I don't love you because you're lovable, Chad. I love you because I'm good. I love you because I am love. That God loves us not because we're lovable. God loves us because he is love. And this is why he deserves the glory. I don't know if you really use that word glory much, but this word glory, it literally means like, like praise, adulation. It, it means like God deserves the credit. It, it, when you say somebody is glorious, that means that they, they have all of the weight. And so like every bit of weight of gold, if we had gold, we would, we would put it on God and say, God, you deserve all of this, you know? And, and again, this is hard for us to cut, like just to imagine because like God's, his, his, he's infinite and he's glorious and he's amazing. It's like us trying to comprehend God is like trying to put the ocean in a Coke can. Like, I feel like I, I'm, I'm lunging at the leash of language trying to describe to you how amazing God is. And when we give him all glory and praise and honor, we're at the border of our imagination, lunging at every awesome idea that we can conjure up in our mind, and we're still falling short. And so God, when he saves us in the gospel and the good news that he redeemed us, he did all of this because he's amazing. And he deserves all the glory. This is the gospel. It's the free gift of God's grace. This is why Paul tells us in, 
in verse 3, grace and peace to you. He says, it's sheer grace. We didn't ask to be delivered. It was sheer grace. There was no other motivation other than God's will and God's heart. That's why he gets all of the glory. That while we were yet sinners, we read earlier, Christ died for us, the just for the unjust. But why is this so important? Like, why, why does Paul start here? Like, like why, is he, why is he reminding these people of what he's already told them? And here's why it's so important, because we all have a tendency to come into this space and to get a little gunk in our gospel. Like we have a tendency to wake up with crusty eyes spiritually. And Paul's saying, you got to remember this thing with clarity. We have a tendency to drive in life without using the windshield wipers. And so we'll swerve and maybe get in and wreck our life because we need to wipe away the waters of confusion, of addition, and whatever it is, whatever else we want to add to the gospel so that we can see clearly. And so Paul, he starts here, he says, you've got to be reminded of the gospel. You have to have clarity as to what the gospel is. So he goes on to verse 6, and here's what he says. He says to the people, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He's like, this is blowing my mind. How did y'all quickly start adding things to this? And then he says he calls it a different gospel, and he clarifies in verse 7, he says, which is not another. He's saying you may use the same terminology, you may use the words, you may use the same vernacular, but anything that is adding something to grace, anything that is confusing, that Jesus is the only hope for salvation, this is not even a gospel. He goes on and says this in verse 7, but there are some who trouble you and they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The gospel's challenged. The gospel is challenged. Paul, he's, he's like baffled. He's like, guys, I thought, I thought like I was there when you were like, you were receiving Christ and his grace and you understood like, and then, and now you're wanting to like gunk up the gospel. And he's like, I'm, I marvel, you know, this word. He's like, I, like I'm, I'm scratching my head. How did this even happen? Like Paul, he was, he was so shook that they were turning away from God's grace. He's like, like, guys, I tried to, like, lay out to you how much God's grace is amazing, how you can have forgiveness, you can have the kindness of God, you can have the love of God, you can have right standing before God only by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, guys, remember, I told you that, that if you run after any other way of trying to get right with God, it's not going to work out for you. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what we want. That's what we want. We, we, we want to start a relationship with Jesus. He's like, cool, y'all start churches. And then he gets word that they're wanting to add all of these things to the gospel. And he's like, no, I've, I want you to be free in Christ. And I'm just like, what, what happened? And he calls out these people. He says, some people have come in, haven't they? And they troubled you. And he says that they perverted the gospel. That's where perverted the gospel. It, it can literally mean that, that they reversed the gospel famous author named Tim Keller said that, that when you revise the gospel, you reverse the gospel. That the moment you revise the gospel, the moment you kind of change up some things a little bit, add your own little spin on it, you actually reverse the gospel. And we, we have a tendency to do this. I, I, I mean, we have this tendency just to want to add different things to what makes somebody right with God. Like we, we have this kind of Jesus plus mentality. Like, yeah, you, like, you, you know Jesus and how he did all this for you, but that was kind of like, like he got the download about 90% and you got to kick in the extra 10% to get the file downloaded in your life. 
Like we'll have this kind of Jesus plus church culture or Jesus plus doing good or Jesus plus loving others and we'll read other parts of the Bible on how we're supposed to live out our faith and we'll think that we have to live out our faith in order to have right standing before God. And so we'll say to people that you've got to go and you've got to do all of these things in order to have right standing before God, and we'll say that, yeah, yeah, Jesus, he saved you, but you need to do all these things, and that's what makes you right with God. And we'll think that you gotta go and do all these activity things in order to have the right identity before God, but the gospel is this, is that by God's grace, you are saved, not of your works. And that's what secures your relationship with Christ, and then you go live out your faith for Christ. You don't have to do all of these spiritual things and add all of these things to what Jesus has done in order to give you right standing. You have right standing based upon what Jesus has done. And then you follow him. That our identity is secured by what Jesus did on the cross and by his resurrection and by his supremacy in our life. And that drives our activity. We don't have to do all of these spiritual things in order to be right before God and earn our salvation. And what was happening here is they were, they were being legalists. What they were saying is that it's Jesus plus these things and these rules, and that's what gives you right standing before God. They were saying it's Jesus plus a lot of good works. Jesus plus you learning all of these Bible verses. Jesus plus you having a church attendance. Jesus did like 90% again, and you've got to do 10% in order to be right with God. Listen, the moment you seek to earn a gift, it ceases to be a gift. The moment that you revise the gospel, you reverse the gospel. I want y'all to think about it this way. So I've got this milk right here. This is Chateau milk. I don't know if y'all know about Chateau milk. I didn't know about Chateau milk until I moved to KC. All right, this is straight out the udder, I think. Anyway, and so this is pure Chateau milk. And I want you to think about this milk represents the gospel. And again, let me rehearse this. The gospel is the good news about the life of Jesus, his sinless life, his death on a cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. And when you put your faith in Jesus, in the pure gospel, that's what gives you right standing before God. That's what saves you. And what happens is that we want to kind of add our own spin to the gospel. And so we have the pure gospel, and we want to add something to it. And so I want y'all to imagine that this represents like, you know, it's like, well, you, you, you got to get Jesus, but, you know, my opinion is that you've also got to, uh, you know, you've got to, it, it really doesn't matter exactly what you believe. You just got to add a few things of your own thoughts. And as long as we're just all good people and we love people, it doesn't matter if you're a Jesus person or another God person, it's okay. And we'll do Jesus plus our own opinion. Or, or we'll be like, um, you know, I, I know that the pure gospel, but, you know, we just got to add you got to add a lot of good works, you know, like you've got to make sure that you're there at church on this day and this day, and you got to add all these good works, and, and we'll start adding things to the gospel, and it begins, to, it begins to dilute the gospel. It begins to change some things about the gospel, and we start adding some things to the gospel, and we'll start adding like our own opinion, and we'll think, okay, well, actually, the, the thing that saves you is how many tears you cried when you prayed for your salvation. It's how sincere you were, and we'll start adding things to the pure gospel, and it changes the whole look of the gospel. Now, what it also changes is the whole makeup of the gospel. That, that it's not just we're watering down the gospel, it's when we add something to the gospel, it changes its whole condition. That it, it, it starts to become an anti-gospel. 
That when we add our good works and we add all of these things to the gospel, it begins to dilute it, it begins to change it altogether, and it's no longer something that saves. And in fact, it's something that can condemn, that it morphs into something altogether like legalism. It morphs into something altogether like traditionalism. It morphs into something altogether like fundamentalism. And listen, Jesus has come to set you free from you having to earn your salvation. That it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if you think that you've got to add something to the finished work of Jesus, listen, it doesn't just kind of water down and change the color. It makes it gross. It makes it grow into something that you never wanted it to be. And God looks at our additions to his finished work on the cross and says, man, that's disgusting. And it's transformed into something that I never intended it to be. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus something gunks up the gospel. What if I was like, hey, we're having a cereal party tonight. I got some milk for y'all. You'd be like, no, thank you. That, because what was once milk is something altogether repulsive. That the gospel is being challenged even right now. That some of you, you don't believe that God could be so good that he could give you grace for your sin. Some of you, you're still trying to earn your way into right standing before God. What are you trying to add to the gospel? Listen, what has gunked it up so bad that you can't see clearly the main message of the Bible? That the gospel, it is pure. It is Jesus plus nothing. And Paul, he's defending the gospel in this letter. Well, he goes on and and he tells us what happens to people that preach a different gospel. He says this in verse eight, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven... If you're a Mormon, you should check this out. He says, but even if we are an angel from heaven, if they preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul's saying you will be cursed by God if you add anything to the gospel. He says, as we have said before, now, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel, he's overstating his point, if they preach any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. He says you don't want to mess with God's message. He says that that we have to protect the purity of this message. And if we add our opinion, we add our rendition, we add our words to this, may God have mercy on us. And Paul, he's saying we have to protect this thing. And he goes on in verse 10, he says this, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. That that Paul, he was being accused by these guys of making salvation too easy for people. You know, they were saying, well, surely it can't just be all about God's grace. Surely we have to like cut ourselves or surely we have to like eat certain things. Surely we have to like do certain things. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Anytime you add to the grace of God, it ceases to be grace. And they're saying, you just made this up so people will like you, Paul. And he's like, no, I'm not trying to persuade men. I'm a bondservant of Christ. He didn't just make this up. He goes on, he tells him, he says, I want to make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. This wasn't my idea. He says, for I neither received it from a man nor nor was I taught it. 
He says this, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That Paul wasn't like, you know what, I just went through a season where I was just wrestling with all of these philosophies and theologies and ideologies and I, and I got all the big books together and I saw all the common themes and I was like, okay, I'm gonna arrive to this conclusion. That's what some religions have done. And Paul's saying, no, no, I, I didn't come to this logical conclusion based upon my own. I didn't do a bunch of research and come to this conclusion and then call it the gospel of grace. He says, this was something that I received from God. That Paul's saying, like, it, listen, it changed my life. That, that we are putting our faith not in what men believe tonight. We're putting our faith in what men witnessed we're putting our faith in what men and women saw and gave their life for. And for me, that's a footing by which I can stand strongly upon. And Paul, he's saying, this isn't something I made up. Grace, mercy, kindness, love of God, this is something that Jesus Christ actually came and visited me, and I'm sharing this with you now. And he's saying, and it changed my life. So he goes on to share about this life change. And here's what he says in verse 13. He says, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. He's like, you guys know me. Y'all know about me. And he goes on, he says, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. And he goes on to talk about, you know, all of these bad things. Paul was a modern-day terrorist. He killed people that followed Jesus. He oppressed the church. He imprisoned. He grabbed women by the hair and pulled them out of church services and says, you won't believe in Jesus or you'll die. This was Paul. He was a bad man, and now he's a great church-planting Christian. He goes on in verse 15, and he says, But when it pleased God, and I love this, who separated me from my mother's womb, and he called me through his grace. Don't you know that God, he, he knit you together in your mother's womb? He has a plan for your life. And Paul's saying that as I look back on my story, I can see that God gave me the DNA that I have all along. He gave me, the, Paul was probably an Enneagram 8, you know, a challenger. He was a driver. He, he was probably that kind of personality. He's like, I've always been a little bit edgy. I've always been a little bit gregarious. I've always been a little bit of a pioneer. And then Jesus redeems that. And he says, this was something God started in my mother's womb. And he called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, in verse 16, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the people in Galatia. He said, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. What he's saying is I didn't go talk to a bunch of people, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. That's where the church founders and where the church got its start. He said, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He said, I went and for three years I processed what was taught me by Jesus. Verse three, if you're taking, or excuse me, point three, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The gospel, it changes lives. The gospel changes lives. This truth, the gospel, the main message of the Bible, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus, it changed Paul's life. One of the greatest defenses, one of the greatest evidences of the legitimacy of Christianity is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. That when you look back through the lens of history, you'll see this man named Saul of Tarsus. And he was a God-hating or Jesus-hating terrorist. He was the one that was, he was at the first murder of the first Christian in Acts 7, the man named Stephen. That Paul, he was, or Saul of Tarsus, he was the one that was breathing threats against the church. And then on the way to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus, he comes face to face with Jesus and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you hating on me? And he looks up, he's blinded and he just kind of goes, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, the Lord, whom you're persecuting. And he strikes him with blindness for three days and he tells him what to do next. And for the rest of Paul, or excuse me, the rest of Saul's life, 
he follows this man Jesus. And it changes him so radically that he changes his name from Saul of Tarsus to Paul, the church planter. And we're seeing here his story. He says in verse 13 again, for you heard of my former conduct. And then in 15 he says, and then this is how I came to Christ. And at the conclusion of this chapter, he just simply says this, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God in me. The gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus, the soon return of Jesus, it changed Paul's life. And the question I want to leave us with tonight is, has it changed your life? If this is the greatest message ever, if this is the main message of the best-selling book of all time, if this is about the greatest person, God in flesh, coming to dwell amongst men, and what he did on behalf of you and I, has it changed your life? See, I think there's a difference between knowing about something and truly experiencing it. A, a few years ago, I got to go to Cabo San Lucas. I don't know if y'all have seen this place before, but beautiful, beautiful, down on the Baja Peninsula, down in the Pacific Ocean. And I could stand up here and I could tell you all about Cabo. You know, the little beach over there on the right, that's Lover's Beach. On the other side, it's Divorce Beach because it's a little bit more rough over there, okay? I could tell you all about the fish. I could tell you all about what we did. And you could start learning some facts about Cabo. And we could all together tonight, we could, we could know some things about Cabo. But that's still not experiencing it. Now, I could get you out on this little boat. My wife and I, when we were in Cabo, we got out on a little boat like that, and, and we actually got closer to some of the things that, that you see right there, and we, were, we could hear the water, we could smell the, the breeze and kind of the fishy, salty, just smell that's out in the ocean, and, and we, could, we could kind of get splashed on with some of that experience, and, and that would take your experience from, from having a knowledge of this to like being, okay, we're in this, and, and this is nice, and, and you could experience the water water of the Pacific Ocean in Cabo from a safe distance. And you may take a selfie with your significant other or yourself, and you may post it on Instagram and say, I'm in Cabo. And it's this happy experience that you have. But there was a life-transforming experience that I had when I was in Cabo. A day I will never forget because I didn't just hear about Cabo. I didn't just kind of somewhat happily experience Cabo in this area from a boat. My wife and I, we decided to snorkel in these waters. I wouldn't suggest snorkeling in these waters. And so we go to this beach on the right, and we decide to go around this rock formation that you see. I don't know if you can tell or not, but that's a freestanding rock formation, and there's a rock wall behind it. And we're snorkeling out there, and we're in the Pacific Ocean, and I've never been in the Pacific Ocean. The Pacific Ocean is different, y'all. It, it's deep. And there's big whales and stuff in that water, and, and it's crazy. And, and so we get out there, and we quickly realize we're the only people snorkeling, that this is not a snorkeling destination. And so we decide, let's turn back to the beach. And when we turn back to the beach, I'm in between a rock formation and a rock wall, and I'm swimming this way but going this way. And the tide picks up, and the current comes in, and I'm out of control. 
I quickly start with every bit of my strength and might. This is what you're not supposed to do, but I'm like, I'm going to beat the Pacific Ocean. And I start swimming, and I kick one of my fins off, and now I'm like a wounded duck just swimming in circles, you know. And I, there was a part of me that's like, I'm about to die, seriously. Because I'm being, I'm being hurled between two rock formations, and the water's going up and down some eight feet. And I think that I'm about to dash my head on the rock or, or, or break my leg or something. I am freaked out. And I'm in my little snorkel straw, hyperventilating. <laughs> and water's coming in, you know. And then eventually, by God's grace, I make it out of that situation. And I swim as quick as I can to Lover's Beach. And I lay on the sand. And I'm just breathing, hyperventilating, panicked, and thanking God with my one fin that I made it out alive. that that's when I truly experienced the power of the Pacific. And I'll never forget that day because I was immersed in the waters. And the reason why I'm sharing that with you tonight is because some of you, you've experienced the love of Jesus Christ in the way that I experienced the Pacific. But many of you, you've settled for just knowing some things about God's love. Many of you have just settled for kind of a picture of the gospel and you really haven't experienced the life transformation that comes when you really throw yourself into the love of God. Others of you, you've kind of been in a boat spiritually and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the love of God and it's just kind of splashing up on you like, oh, this is happy times. But it hasn't radically changed your life. That's why you keep going back to those sinful tendencies. And I've been there. When it's like, I know that God loves me. I know he has a plan for me. But I'm just going to stay at a safe distance from his lordship and his, and his reign in my life. And I'm going to keep pursuing these things that are no good in my life. And settle for this weird quasi-spirituality where I know about the love of God. And I'm kind of in the boat, but I'm really not even transformed by his grace. And I would urge you to get into the waters of the gospel. To see Jesus dying on the cross for you and for your sin. And to see him raising from the grave. See him ascending to the right hand of God the Father. And reigning supreme over all things as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And surrendering your life to that amazing grace. And surrendering your life to his kingship and his lordship. And you following him for the rest of your days. And when you have an encounter like that with the living God, it changes your life. I grew up hearing the gospel. We'd go to church from time to time and surely they'd talk about Jesus' death on a cross and his resurrection. But then I kind of morphed into something where I was like, yeah, yeah, God's love, but let me add some things to it. Let me put my version on it. And this was kind of my version of Christianity. It's gross in God's eyes. Where I was saying, you know, am I enough now, God? Have I done enough? And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. And then when I was about 16, I started kind of getting in the boat spiritually. But, but I, was, I was kind of one foot in the word of God and in, in the work of God and then one foot in the world. You know, you ever been there? 
and, and like, like trying to put up a front, like, yeah, you know, I got a Bible and, and like I go to church from time to time, but there were these private things in my life and I would pray these tired prayers like, God, if you'll just forgive me, I'll never sin again, you know, and I was sincere and there were tears. And then like three days later, I was like, oh, sin. I was just, wow, I just happened to see this. And I was on this cycle, like sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. And it wasn't until I got a new vision of God's holiness and it revealed the depth of my brokenness in my heart. And I came to a place where I'm like, man, enough is enough. I'm tired of just kind of doing this surface level spirituality in this boat of comfort, so to speak. I wanna go all in. And I prayed again, God, would you forgive me of my sin? And I wanna follow you the rest of my days. And for the last 16 years, when Jesus wrecked my life, I hadn't been able to shake it. And I've given my life to invite as many people to the scene of the crash as possible. So that you can see that if God can change the Apostle Paul, if he can change my life, he can change your life. What have you done? What have you done with the gospel? And has it changed you? Really changed you? And I pray that it would. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you just for this truth that's found in your word. God, I thank you that you gave your, your son for us. I, I can't imagine sacrificing one of my little girls for, for people who, who didn't even care. But in your, in your sovereign, divine goodness, you knew that, that one day we would, we would come to our senses, so to speak. And God, I just thank you for your patience. Your word tells us that we shouldn't consider you as slow as some consider slowness. But that you're patiently waiting for people to turn to you while there's still time. Because your word teaches us that every man and woman is appointed once to die and then to be judged. And so God, I pray that we would receive your gift of grace while it's available. And we wouldn't make Christianity or the gospel out to be something that, that it's not. But that we would come to you tonight open-handedly and welcome your grace. That you would forgive people and save people tonight. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.